American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Tuesdays come down. Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. I'm Amy, and that's Joe. And this is episode 114. Yes, and today we are going to discuss the end of 1968. We're going to finish up 1968. We've only got one more year left for this season. I know it's a ton of episodes, and there's a lot of you, but I just want to call, this is a moment I want to call out a lot of you. A lot of you said, oh, this podcast won't last. They'll only do a few episodes. We've got a hunt. This is 114. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. All right. No, you don't. That's not how you keep listeners. It's honey. not. No. It's not. No. Well, I'm not talking to our listeners. I'm talking to our doubters. All right. Let's dive in. All right. I take back that. Fuck you. And we're going to start off November of 1968. Mm-hmm. And now, bear with me, because this this is a little something fun. I think we'll do. You know, it's. Uh, you hate birthdays, but this is, I will say this is a birthday, but it sparked up a conversation and some questions I have just about oh, okay. people, okay? All right. If you chug a beer first. Got to finish that beer. I just finished a Southern Range Brewing from Monroe, North Carolina. Hop sequences, it's delicious. I would recommend it. Okay. okay. November 4th, 1968 was a Monday. Mm-hmm. Miles Long was born that day. Do you know who Miles no. Long is? Well, he is an American pornographic film director. It wasn't actor. Long Dong Silver? Miles Long. Was it Long Dong Silver? No, Miles oh. Long. Oh, just Miles Long. Miles oh, Long yeah. is his stage name, Miles Long. That's, he I was get a it. he was an actor and then he became a director. But he's listed in Wikipedia. He was he was born in San Francisco. He's listed in Wikipedia as an American porn film director. And that just made me think like somebody like made note of that and added that to Wikipedia. And are film directors a thing? Like, do people know, like... Porn directors? Yeah, like, if you watch porn, yeah. you're like, oh, that's that wasn't done by Miles Long. I'm not going to watch it. Right. I've seen all of Miles Long's work. No, you watch three minutes of it yeah. to do the job, right? Right, yes. Or is there people yes. that oh, look for... I don't know. I do not know. I don't know why we're even talking about it, Well, frankly. And that being said, so I looked up Miles Long just to like get a feel for, you know, yeah. is he a renowned director? You watched some of his work? Well, I didn't watch any of it, but I wanted to just list some of his oh, works. Oh, some of the, uh, the titles. These some of fun. the titles he's done. So he is known for uh, Bad Wives 2, mm-hmm. uh, Addicted and Addicted, Addicted 3, Addicted Again, Big Loves for the is Cougar it Club. Is uh, Dick? No, it's Tid? actually spelled regular. Oh. He did Addicted Six. They missed six, out for that. The Cougar Club, Kittens and Their Milf, uh, Vajazzled. Uh, Vajazzled? Nylon 7 and 8, Girlfriends so 3, Young Thighs and Knee Highs. Yeah, he did that one. Um, uh, he did Sleazy Riders, uh, Laid in Lingerie, mm-hmm. Cheerleaders Gone Bad, uh, Angelic Asses. Okay. Um, he did. He did Angelic Asses 2014, 2015, 
2013, 2015. Okay, we're good. Uh, he did Bang Bros, Pussy Crazy 4. God. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's that's the best. Did I, did I say Bang Bros? Yeah, Nylon's 9. He also did nine, not Nylon's 8 or 7, but Nylon's 9. Okay. Uh, so there, that, that's uh, some of the things that he Good to know. So when you're watching those films, those full-length films, you'll know that I bet they got a lot of pubes. Long. I don't think there's a lot of pubes anymore. Don't they like? They oh, you think he's them? a modern guy? I was thinking he would be like the an '80s type. No, I mean he. All those were in the 2000s, 2014. Oh, they were. So okay, he's a current director. I missed that. Uh, but he was born in '68, so uh, he's okay. that age. I'm so, anyway, that's what I just wanted to check. Like it dawned on me. Like, do people know who directed their porns? Yeah. And then November fifth, nineteen sixty-eight, was a Tuesday. It was the very next day. Former U.S. Vice President and Republican Party nominee Richard. M. Nixon was elected president of the United States, Ooh. defeating incumbent vice president and Democratic uh, candidate Hubert H. Humphrey yep. and American Independent Party candidate George C. Wallace. Although the popular vote was close, uh, whether Nixon would be the winner or whether no party would have a majority and cause the election to be decided by the House of Representatives would remain in doubt until almost noon the next day because it was so close. Mm-hmm. With four states... 66 electoral votes remaining in doubt. Nixon had 261 of the 270 needed to win. Humphrey had 166, and Wallace had 45, while the media waited for Chicago Mayor Daley to re- release the results of the tabulation there, which would determine who won Illinois and its 26 votes. Hmm. If Humphrey had carried all four states, no candidate would have had 270. Uh Humphrey, speaking from Minneapolis, conceded defeat in the U.S. presidential election shortly after 11 o'clock in the morning, local time, and telephoned his congratulations to the president-elect. All right. And then Wednesday, November 6, 1968, the longest student strike in American history began at San Francisco State University. Okay. The longest. Yep. All right. It's where the Black Student Union joined with a coalition of Asian American students and white students who supported the cause. Uh, and that they were, uh, this the this strike resulted in the establishment of the College of Ethnic Studies and increased recruiting and admissions of students of different and varied ethnic backgrounds. Are you going to tell us how long it was? Okay, it started November sixth, nineteen sixty eight, and lasted until March twenty first, nineteen sixty nine. Whoa! Holy shit! That's so. How many? Crazy. I can't do the math. You do the math. I mean, that's months. That's a lot of months of strikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on Friday, November 8th, 1968, mm-hmm. the divorce between the Beatles' John Lennon and his first wife, Cynthia Lennon, became official a little more than five months after Cynthia had returned to the couple's home at Weybridge and found that Yoko Ono had moved in. Oh, man. Lennon and Ono would marry a little more than four months later on March 29th. Jeez, John. And that same day, Parker Posey was born. All right. And then on Saturday, November 9th, 1968, the most widely felt earthquake in United States history, noticed by millions of people in portions of 23 states, Wow! struck at 11.02 in the morning central time with an epicenter in Hamilton County, Illinois, near the village of Broughton. Did they demolish the town, I would assume? Although the quake was only 5.4 magnitude and caused no fatalities, the tremors caused damage and injuries as far as away as far away as St. Louis. Really? And shaking in Chicago. Oh, my God. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes, it is. And then on uh, Saturday, November 10th, 1968, mm-hmm. uh, 
a family of three men okay. from Yemen mm-hmm. was arrested in New York City okay. on charges of conspiracy to assassinate President-elect Richard Nixon. Oh. And so this brought me to this whole thing about all of the attempted assassinations of Richard Nixon. Yeah. And do you know about all? Like, no. Have you heard? Uh-uh. So one we apparently missed when we did 74 was Samuel Bike. Bick, B-Y-C-K, mm-hmm. about a plane. He tried to, he tried to uh, uh, hi- hijack a plane yeah. and crash it into the White House. Oh, my. I don't know how we missed it, but anyway, that was in 74. Like, that's one of the most yeah. famous attempted killings of Nixon, but he wasn't able to even, like, a cop on board, like, pulled a gun and shot him and, like, no, threw no. the cockpit and all this stuff. Oh, my God. So they didn't end up, mm-hmm. he didn't end up being able to hijack the plane. So I just want to bring that up that I didn't even know about that. So I want to check and see. Have you heard of that? Same no, I but no. Anyway, so this family, uh, they were Arabs mm-hmm. living in New York City, and uh, the NYPD raided the Brooklyn apartment of Ahmad Raja Namer and his two sons, Hussein and Abdo after an informant said that the group had offered him a large amount of money to carry out the act because he was an expert marksman. At the apartment, police confiscated a carbine and a rifle, 24 pounds of ammunition, and three long knives. Really? So, then I got some more information from StuffNobodyCaresAbout.com, mm-hmm. and uh, they said, here's one of the original stories. They said on November 13th, a mystery witness told a Brooklyn grand jury that Yemeni immigrant and his two sons tried to get him to join in a plot to kill president Richard Nixon and offer money to participate and he testified for an hour and 20 minutes the FBI and Secret Service investigated possible links between this plot and the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy with mm-hmm. Sirhan Sirhan mm-hmm. um, uh, and then so officials said a very large quantity of correspondence from overseas was found in Namer's poor three-room apartment. Mm-hmm. Many were in Arabic and were being translated in the hope of gaining clues to the family's activities. Uh, but friends of the elder Namer, the dad, said he never showed any interest in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were surprised. Yeah, they were like, yeah, it doesn't sound right. Uh, but Namer was accused of being in the Yemeni secret police uh, but his family denied there was any conspiracy to kill Nixon at all. Investigators soon began to doubt the sole witness, who was later named as Mohammed Hazan uh, uh, Al-Jamal. Mm-hmm. But they pressed through with the case anyhow. Oh. The defense attorney, David F. Price, contended that Al-Jamal was bent on revenge from being, invic- being evicted from Namer's apartment at 496 Hinsdale oh, Street so it was a big in lie. East New York. Yeah, so... And you can look up 496 Hinsdale Street on Google Maps, and yeah. you can see the little, there's like a, a laundromat across the street mm-hmm. and a deli. It's in New York, and it looks kind of fine now, but it's neat to look at them. Like, this happened in the yeah. 60s. Um, uh, but he was evicted the previous October, and they think he made up the story. You see, Al Jamal had lived as a rumor with the neighbors from May through October of 1968, but was thrown out after repeatedly being drunk and setting fire to his bed with a lighted cigarette. Jeez. <laughs> so, so his revenge was to say, these guys are trying to kill the president. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
So did they end but up? But Al, Al Jamal claimed he returned to the apartment on November 7th, 1968 to check to see if he had any mail. Mm-hmm. And when he was there, he noticed a carbine and an M1 rifle in the kitchen. Al Jamal asked what the weapons were for, and one of the Namer's sons responded, allegedly, we're going to kill Nixon. Namer then allegedly tried to convince Al Jamal to join the plot, which he refused to do. If he wants to deal you in, let us know, Namer said as Al Jamal was leaving. Al Jamal reported the incident to the police that night, and the Namers were arrested on November 9th. Uh, the two rifles Mr. Namer claimed were for relatives in Yemen, and Al Jamal was not in their apartment. And he said Al Jamal was not in the apartment that night in question. Mm-hmm. And Judge Louis B. Heller instructed the jury that possessing the rifles was not in itself a crime unless it was proved that there was intent to use it on another person. On July 17, 1969, the trial concluded the Namers were found not guilty of all but one charge, that of possessing two switchblade knives. The Namers on the Nixon assassination attempt that faded into history. That's what this is. Okay. Yeah, so it just went away. Yeah. Uh, all right, that was interesting. And that same day, Tracy Morgan was born in the Bronx. You know who Tracy Morgan yes, is? Yes, I do. And then on November 12th, Kathleen Hanna was born. Stop. American musician from Bikini Kill, married to Ad Rock. The Beastie Boys. Stop, please. And then on Wednesday, November 13th, 1968, Robbie Irons of the St. Louis Blues set a record, since broken, for shortest National Hockey League career, tending goal for three minutes and one second in a game against the New York Rangers. Oh, what happened? And then he quit, I guess. He He quit? Right in the middle of the game? He got fired. I don't know what happened, but that's the shortest career. You don't know what happened. I didn't look it up because you'd be, I I picture you saying, hockey. I'm oh. bored. I don't want to hear about it. You're I hate right. you. I don't love you anymore. What? I want a divorce. I want to see other people. I'm sleeping with the mailman. Okay. That's what I was picturing you saying. All right. You're probably right. And then on Thursday, November 14th, 1968, Yale University announced that it would admit women students for the first time in its 267-year history. About time. Beginning with the 1969-1970 academic year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, in that Thursday, in the faculty meeting, the vote was 200 in favor to one against. Yale's sister institution, the formerly all-women Vassar College, began admitting male students for the same year. Oh, okay. That same day, U.S. Marine PFC. You know what PFC stands for? No. Private first class? Uh, probably. Maybe. You're smart. Anyway, Private First Class Francis Baldano was killed in South Vietnam while manning an ambush position in the Quang Tree province. Mm-hmm. Not by a combatant, but by a tiger that attacked him while he was lying in Oh, wait. my God. How crazy is that? That's crazy. You're in Nam. Yeah. Your chances of dying are pretty good. Yeah. And you think about, oh, you're in a war, but a tiger comes and kills yeah. you instead. Oh, my goodness. And then Friday, November 15th, 1968, Old, dirty, bastard, American rapper and co-founder of the Wu-Tang Clan, Russell Tyrone Jones, was born in Brooklyn. And then Saturday, November 16th, 1968, mm-hmm. nothing happened. Sunday, November 17th, 1968, the AFL championship game titled the Heidi Bowl with the Jets. This happened. With the Jets leading 32-29. to 29 mm-hmm. With only 65 seconds left in the game. Mm-hmm. I know you don't get you know that's only a few points so it's easy to come back the raiders quickly scored 14 points to win the game 43 to 32 yeah meanwhile 
Millions of American television viewers were unable to see Oakland's comeback because the NBC television network cut off the live broadcast in favor of a pre-scheduled airing of Heidi, a new made-for-TV version of the classic children's story. Oh, my God. People were pissed. Pissed, I bet. All the calls, the calls that they got. Yeah, no The complaints. People were so mad. Heidi. And then Monday, November 18th, 1968, you bet you didn't know that Owen Wilson and Gary Sheffield were born on the same day. And it happened to be the same day that Walter Wanger died. Stop. And then Tuesday, November 19th, 1968, along with four other people, U.S. Army Chaplain Angelo J. Charles Lidicky was presented with a Medal of Honor for his heroism in the Vietnam War. On the, see, because on December 6th, 1967, when he evacuated 20 soldiers uh, under to safety despite enemy fire, and wounds of his own. In 1968, he would become the first and to date only Medal of Honor recipient to publicly renounce and return his medal, doing so in protest of American foreign policy. Good for him. Yep. And that's the same day that Rang Avidhut died, who was a 79-year-old Indian Hindu poet and religious leader. Are you just looking up obscure people in the phone book now (laughs) and figuring out when they're born and died? Maybe. And then Wednesday, November 20th, 1968, 78 coal miners were killed in an explosion. Off a cliff. No. They were killed in an explosion and subsequent carbon monoxide poisoning at the Consolidation Coal Company, number nine mine, at Mannington, West Virginia. I'm assuming this is one of those ones we go over, those coal towns. How, How many of them died? Uh, 78. Jeez. The blast happened at 5.40 in the morning when 99 men were inside and 21 had been able to get to safety. Attempts to rescue the 78 trapped inside were hindered by subsequent explosions and fires. Oh, my God. And on November 30th, further efforts ceased and the number nine mine was sealed, entombing the bodies of the miners. So they'd starve to death. Yeah, the disaster itself, if they weren't already dead. Yeah. The disaster itself would be credited later as being something that emotionally inspired the Federal Coal Mine Health and Safety Act of 1969, including federal legislation. And that's probably been rolled to back since coal then. miners and coal, coal workers' pneumonococcus, more commonly known as black lung. Like they, I bet that's been yeah. rolled back. And then Thursday, November 21st, 1968, Kuo Hong... Member and later coach of the China's China's women's national table tennis team was born. In Stop! Wuhan. I thought you were going to skip those. <laughs> oh, that one I just had to do. All right. All right. Friday, November. Ah, this is comedy gold. No, Friday, no, your not. angst is so comical. Friday, November twenty second, nineteen sixty eight. The Beatles released what would become unofficially known as the White Album. Oh, that's a good one. Although its official title was simply. The Beatles. Yes. Oh, my God. You yeah. know that. And it was a double album with two long-playing LP records. Yes. That same day, the supposed first-ever interracial kiss on national television in the U.S. was shown on an episode of... Oh, gosh. I don't know. First-ever interracial kiss. 1968. The Jeffersons? <laughs> no, that, <laughs> that was wasn't the 70s. Um, hmm. I don't on in a TV show. Yep, a television show. Here's a hint. Sixty-eight. It was almost canceled, and then nerds got mad and wouldn't let it get canceled. Talk about this. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Star Trek. That's right. I remember Spock. that. Yeah. Spock was doing Ulhura from behind. No, and, and it then was they kissed not real Spock. Quick. <laughs> it Idiot. was Spock. It was. It was Spock and Ulhura. Yeah. Oh. 
but that's not what um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was not Spock. It was William Shatner. So that's what I thought. Well, Spock, Shatner, whatever. You're going to get hate mail. Yeah, white actor William Shatner, Captain Kirk, kissing black actress Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura, who was hot. Uh, the kiss attracted no notice in the media at the time. Oh, that's good. I think. But then it says the ac- Wikipedia says the accuracy of this claim is disputed. Mm. Uh, that same day, Japan Airlines, Airlines Flight 2 from Tokyo crashed into the San Francisco Bay while making its landing approach. Captain Kohai Asho was able to save the 97 passengers what? and the crew of 11 by landing in the water and directing everyone oh, like rubber uh, life rafts. Sully did. Yeah. The- Why isn't there a movie about this? Racists. Yeah. Probably. That same day, uh, Greenland-born Canadian computer programmer and developer of the PHP scripting language, Rasmus Lerdorf, was born in Kwekwetraswak, Disco Island, Greenland. Just stop. <laughs> I just, just want to say that. And Saturday, November 23rd, 1968. Okay. Brace yourself. Okay. A cable commuter airline's turboprop. Oh, never mind. Don't brace yourself. What? It's not that bad. Are you all right? A cable commuter airline's turboprop plane crashed on the Newport Freeway. Oh, my goodness. Uh, as it was making its approach to the airport in Santa Ana, California, at the end of a flight from Los Angeles, killing all seven passengers and two crew without striking any of the cars on the highway. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's Descending crazy. Descending through a fog, the DHC-6 Twin Otter struck a light pole, mm-hmm. hit the highway's southbound lanes, and then crossed a divider, skidding across the northbound traffic. Five automobiles avoided getting struck by the wreckage. Incredible that it missed all those cars, a Santa Ana police sergeant told reporters later. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You're mm-hmm. driving and you see a plane crashes on the highway? That same day, Lynn Eusen was crowned as the homecoming queen for the University of Houston at halftime of its football game against the visiting University of Tulsa, becoming the first black student to be accorded that honor oh, at any college good. or university in the Deep South. Wow. Uh, isn't that crazy? Yeah. A little note for you murder lovers. In September of 1971, Yusin mm-hmm. would be found stabbed to death in a oh car driven by Leo Jackson Jr. He would be prosecuted for her murder, but ultimately acquitted. And why didn't we cover that in 1971? Well, we had our hands Lazy. full in the 70s, if you recall. Lazy. There was quite a bit of crime going on in the But 70s. I'd just like to note, let's take a moment and note that I mm-hmm. told you about a murder that you didn't know about. Someone famous murder. Okay, we'll take a note. Um... At that same homecoming game, mm-hmm. the Houston Cougars set a modern-day record for running up the score mm-hmm. by beating the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes in this football game. The score was 100-6. to six. Oh, wow. That's kind of a spanking. A week before, they had beaten Idaho 77-3. to three. And so I looked into this. I was like, how could, yeah. have, how could they... How could they possibly score 100 points without trying yeah. to run up the score? And it was only twenty four to six in the third quarter. How did so they get four that many quarters points? of a game? So they just scored a shit ton in in the fourth quarter, and they said they weren't even trying. It was just like the other team just gave up so much that they was like, oh wow, they kept returning kicks like nobody was tackling. So what am I supposed to do? I got to keep running. Yeah, the other um, team was probably just like fuck this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, a lot of people said no. It wasn't really that much of a blowout. Like. Uh, 
All in all, the Cougars scored 14 touchdowns, 13 extra points, and a field goal. They even missed a field goal <laughs> at one point. They still oh scored 100 points. Wow. That's got to be embarrassing and just mm-hmm. demoralizing. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, November 24th, 1968, Pan Am Flight 281 from New York City to San Juan, Puerto Rico was hijacked by four of its 78 passengers and landed in Havana, Cuba. Two of the hijackers will be arrested in the mid-1970s, but a third, Luis Armando Peña Soltren, would not surrender to U.S. authorities until 40 years later and be given a 15-year prison sentence in 2011. Wow, that's pretty That's pretty cool. So I finally like just took a moment. I just like, what's up with this? Mm-hmm. Like It seems like all of a sudden there was all these hijackings Hijack- to Cuba. And you and I, no, like you Cuban always ask, like, and stuff. well, that, and you were always asking, like, well, what happened? Did they get back? How did they get back? Mm-hmm. And I guess most of them, like, they land in Cuba, and then the, the people that hijack the plane get off and run away and get away. Uh-huh. And then they work with the Cuban government to, like, okay, yeah, un, you know, unrestrain the pilots. Everybody's okay. Now we fly back to the United States to go. Um, and so you got to think about all these things. Like, so the. A lot of the reasons I was like, why are they doing it? A mm-hmm. lot of it was like safe passage to Cuba wasn't easy. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, they didn't fly okay. there. Um, some were like one was a guy trying to warn a mm-hmm. Cuban official that he was going to be attacked by Americans. Like he heard of some plot, all kinds of different reasons. But okay. um, the the funny thing is like, you know, they didn't have much security. And you think about mm-hmm. the security there is now. Yeah, at the airport. And how you got to get anally. Like, right. Every time I go to the airport, yeah. I have three people look into my asshole. No, that's not what happens. Well, I don't know where basically. you're going, but it's not the airport. Oh, <laughs> well, that might be <laughs> that might be at the manhole. It could be. Anyway, it's it's there's a lot of security now. Yeah. So back then, they tried to pass measures to get that kind of security, mm-hmm. but everybody was like, "No, no, really." And the airlines were like, the airlines had these boards of directors and stuff that were like, "No way, nobody will keep flying." If, if that's the case, really? like it would all go away. No, we can't mm-hmm. do all that. So they kept it low key as it was, and that's why until nine eleven. Yeah, for me, watch movies. It's crazy. Like people just mm-hmm. say a name and you get right in. Um, so because airlines were unwilling to consider mandatory screenings and checkpoints at the terminals, mm-hmm. the uh, less intrusive solutions had to be considered. So in nineteen sixty eight, the FAA created an anti hijacking task force mm-hmm. to come up with solutions that would be palatable to the airlines they even invented the uh public or they even invited the public to submit suggestions okay so the most common suggestion was complete capitulation the pilots would simply provide free transportation to cuba for those persons leaving the united states if anybody wanted to we just fly you there for free and that way people stop hijacking because they can just go there yeah um another tactic that was seriously considered by the faa this is great was to build a phony Havana airport in South Florida. So, because the hijackers aren't going to know where they're going. In this plan, the hijackers would believe they were landing in Havana. When they get off the plane, they'd be arrested by U.S. agents. That's pretty smart. I know. I thought that was genius. Yeah. But the fake airport turned out to be too expensive to do all that. Yeah. So they decided not to do it. Yeah. But that would have been hilarious. That would have. There were other zany solutions, like a hijacker ejection seat. Uh, There was also one patent for an injector seat which would have a hypodermic injection apparatus mm-hmm. arranged for driving a needle of a hypodermic syringe through the seat cushion and into the passenger to instantly Ew. sedate or kill the passenger. Like in their in their taint? In their asshole. <laughs> like it was a dildo with a There's needle There's a lot of asshole of talk in this There's episode. There's a lot of asshole. This is the asshole episode. Uh, 
Ultimately, the FAA realized that there was one place you had to stop on your way to a plane, and that was to get a boarding pass or purchase a ticket. So the solution, therefore, was to train the ticket agents in 25 behavioral cues mm-hmm. that might indicate trouble. These were things like not maintaining appropriate eye contact, not caring about your luggage, or wearing military surplus gear. (laughs) (laughs) If ticket takers saw any of these behavioral traits in the customer, they would very discreetly ask that they go to a room on the side and be searched. Mm -hmm. As you can probably imagine, that was a failure. Yeah. And then on Monday, November 25th, 1968, I don't know if you know about this, but in Mattoon, Illinois, Mm -hmm. there was a small restaurant called Burger King before Burger King was Burger King. Oh, really? And they won a lawsuit on this day against the giant fast food chain of the same name because they had trademarked the name first. To this day, there are no Burger Kings legally allowed within 20 miles of the Mattoon location. Ha, that's pretty funny. So there's one mom and pop Burger King in Mattoon, Illinois. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Mattoon residents Gene and Betty Hoots bought the successful Frigid Queen ice cream shop from Gene's uncle, Bill Pollan, in 1952. And in 1954, Gene expanded the business, adding hamburgers, french fries, and other items. And in 1957, they fixed up a two-car parking garage behind the Frigid Queen, adding a grill and counter for customers. And when it came time to give the new business behind the Frigid Queen a name, Gene wanted to go with Hot Dames. But Betty said that a queen needed a king and chose the name Burger King. Okay. And there you go. Yep. And I have like three more pages of info about that Burger King. Do you want me to no. keep going or no. just move on to the next thing? Let's move on. Okay. Saturday, November 30th, 1968, Diana Ross and the Supremes take over the number one spot on the Billboard charts with Love Child. Okay. You know how that goes? Yeah, I can't. Love child, my love child. Nope. Love that da, is definitely da, not da, what it love is. Love child. Now I'm never going to be able to think of it because you just did that. Is it a known song though, you think? Yeah. You have no idea how it goes? Well, now that you just sang that, I can't think of it. You got anything to say about this? No. Who cares? Who cares? And that brings us to December 2nd, a Monday of 1968. All 39 people aboard the Wyan Consolidated Airlines Flight 55 were killed when their Fairchild F-27 turboprop plane crashed in Alaska during a violent snowstorm. The plane had taken off from Anchorage and was 15 minutes away from its scheduled arrival at the small village of Iliamna. Okay, that's a bummer. Lucy Liu was born that same day. And then Tuesday, into December 3rd, 1968, the videotaped NBC television special Singer Presents Elvis, sponsored by the Singer Company, oh. the American sewing machine manufacturer, marked the comeback of Elvis Presley after the legendary musician had been away from singing. In the, his big jumpsuit. The, yeah, and his big sideburns and his yep. fat. The eagerly anticipated return of the king of rock and roll would prove to be the most watched special broadcast of the 1968 holiday season in the United States. Yep, I bet. Yeah, Elvis. Yeah, everybody loved him. Brendan Fraser was born that same day, and so was Montel Jordan. I bet you never knew Montel Jordan and Brendan Fraser were born on the same day. Move on. They're actually twins. Wednesday, December 4th, 1968, Archie Mayo died. And then Thursday, December 5th, 1968, Margaret Show was born. Will you stop? <laughs> this is a long enough episode. Ah! Friday, December 6th, 1968, the Rolling Stones released the album Beggar's Banquet, which contained the classic song, Sympathy for the Devil. Mm-hmm. How does that song go? Um. <sighs> ooh, ooh. Ooh, 
Yeah. Pleased to meet you. Yeah. Hope you guessed my name. Oh, yeah. But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. Is that right? Yep. It is. They never say sympathy for the devil, do they? I think they do somewhere. Oh, great. You know better than everything. I don't know. Sunday, December 8th, 1968, Graham Nash made the decision to leave his role as a vocalist with a British pop group, The Hollies, and to team up with... Crosby, David Crosby, Stephen Stills of Buffalo Springfield from the classic group Crosby, Stills and Nash to form the classic group Crosby, Stills and Nash. I wasn't aware that one of those guys was British. Stephen Stills? No, Graham Nash. Oh, Graham Nash. He left a British pop group. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to say Stephen Stills might be British, too. You better look that up. I'm not looking anything up. Let's just let our haters hate. Just let everybody scream and yell at the... Monday, December 8th, 1968, uh, the same day that Enoch Nucky Johnson died, an 85 American political boss, Kurt Angle, American professional wrestler, was born. And then Tuesday, December 10th, 1978, nothing happened. And then Wednesday, December 11th, 1968, the film Oliver, based on the hit London and Broadway musical, opened in the U.S. after being released first in England. It would go on to win the best picture. Did you ever see that movie? No. I haven't either. On December 12th, 1968, which was a Thursday, mm-hmm. Pan Am Flight 217 crashed in the Caribbean Sea Jeez. off the coast of Venezuela while making it Venezuela while making its final approach to Caracas on a flight from New York City. All 50 people on board Died. were killed. Yeah. Contact was lost at 9.59 at night, shortly after the crew of the Boeing 707 had been given clearance by the control tower for the scheduled 10 o'clock landing. That same day, Tallulah Bankhead died. And then Friday, no, Saturday, December 14th, 1968, Marvin Gaye takes over the number one spot with a little number called, I Heard It Through the Great Line. Mm. Ever heard of it? Yep, yep. And then Sunday, December 15th, 1968, fans of the Philadelphia Eagles NFL team watched the final home game in a season with only two wins. They were so upset that they booed and then threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Aww. Earning the city a reputation as having the most boorish sports supporters in the nation. Yeah. Frank Olivo, the man recruited to portray Jolly St. Nick and to walk around the field during halftime mm-hmm. of the game against the Minnesota Vikings, would laugh years later about being pelted by snowballs. The incident has become a part of the franchise's history. Eagles fans... Are supposed to be the worst. They are fucking assholes. Really? When they won the Super Bowl, somebody punched a horse. Oh, my God. A police horse. They punched a horse and knocked it out. Knocked Isn't it out? Knocked it out. They punched it until it was Poor unconscious. Thing. Like I think. They, don't know. they punched a horse. <laughs> I understand. Well, welcome back to American Timelines, the podcast that gets you wet. All right. There's no reason. And now Amy was just about to delve into a brutal story of a kidnapping. Okay. I'm going to talk about the kidnapping of Barbara Mackle. Barbara Mackle, so, y'all. I got most of my information. There was a, a several parts to a, a story up from CoastalBreezeNews.com. CoastalBreezeNews.com. We appreciate also, you. AllThat'sInteresting.com had a good article on it, and, of course, Wikipedia. You know, AllThat'sInteresting.com is a website I peruse yes. daily, and I recommend you do as well. Okay. So 20-year-old Barbara Jane Mackle okay. 
lived a life that many envy. She was the daughter of millionaire Robert F. Mackle of Deltona Corporation. You had me at millionaire. Had a wonderful boyfriend and was completing her studies at Emory University when in Atlanta. S- when you say wonderful, like, is that like genitals, body I, shape? I didn't. Intellectual I ability? Like, is he good at? He's good at golf. Golf? He's good at golf and like push-ups? Mm-hmm. Can okay. he do cartwheels? Then, in the early morning hours of yep. December 17th, 1968... Which happens to be the day we're at. It's a Tuesday. The right. same day that Mary Bell, aged 11, was found guilty of murdering yes. two small boys and sentenced to life in detention, initially at a secure children's home and later in a prison. And she'd be re- released from prison in 1980 and granted anonymity. The same day... You realize that, that Mary Bell was like 12. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, that's a sh- and it was brutal what she did to the. But she boys. didn't really do it, right? No, she did. Oh, she did. She, she was her mother was a. Why pro- don't we cover that? I thought about it. I I couldn't decide. Well, that's the day that she was found guilty, mm-hmm. and then so we never we're never gonna talk about that story. Well, I didn't know which one to do. Well, that's also the same day that mass murderer Richard Speck. Mm-hmm. Was convicted of the nineteen sixty six killing him already. of the eight student nurses. Yeah, yes. all those nurses. Yeah, yep. that's the same day that he was convicted. Yes. So, uh, you know, a little like uh, flashback. Okay, so uh, the Mackle family received some grim news. Okay, Robert Mackle's daughter Barbara Jane had been kidnapped in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh no! So Robert's wife Jane, which would be Barbara's mother. Robert's wife Jane. So why is okay? So okay, her she mom had traveled from Coral Gables. To visit Barbara. Because um, she lived in Atlanta. She, she was at a student at Emory University. In Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, and so then her they, mom came to visit her. And then they both moved into this nearby motel because Barbara was recovering from the Hong Kong flu, which was spreading around the campus. So she left her place on her dorm. Yes. And, sh- and so she moved into a hotel and her mom was there visiting. So her they mom stayed was, together. Yes. While she's so, recovering from the Hong Kong flu. Yes. And so wow. um, a man... There's a, a knock man. at the door at 4 yep. o'clock a.m., and the All man right. identifies himself as a detective. I am a detective. He says he has Hello. got in- information about an auto accident involving someone in a white Ford, suggesting it could be Barbara's boyfriend, Stuart, who had been hurt. And that was the wonderful boyfriend you talked mm-hmm. about earlier. Mm-hmm. So 4 a.m., you get a knock on the door. It's about Stuart, and then they didn't have phones back then. Right. So you wouldn't just call. Well, so, I guess they had telephones. So but. Mrs. Mackle opens the door, to, and there's... The mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a masked man hit with a shotgun. And then there's the smaller person with a ski mask. I'm assuming there's not a peephole. Because if you saw yeah. that in the peephole, you wouldn't open the door. Right. She must not have. So they burst through the doorway. This is in a hotel? Mm-hmm. Like these people walked through the hotel lobby and everything? No. Stopped and got donuts? It was a motel. A motel. That's it was different. a motel. Okay. Okay. With no people. Okay. Right. So two masked guys. That's so, crazy. They bind and chloroform. The mom. Oh, no. And then they seize Barbara, and her, she's got this red and white nightgown on, and he, just like that, they put her in the car. Now, when you say chloroform, off. that's like a rag yes. with chemicals that knocks you out, yes, right? Yes, that's okay. correct. So then Mrs. Mackle woke up, and she was able to get herself free enough to call for help. But is Mrs. Mack are they together? Are they in the same car? No, they didn't take the mom. They just took the daughter. Oh, they bound Mrs. Mackle and left her in the hotel room. They right. take the daughter. Yes. So Mrs. Mackle escapes from the bindings. Right, and calls the police. Calls the police. So, meanwhile, Barbara was driven northeast of Atlanta by these two people. Okay. It was a man and a smaller person she thought was a boy. 
Okay, but she's not sure. Mm-hmm. She was, she was told to be quiet and ask no questions about where she was going or what would happen to her. Oh, boy. In a wooded now, area. Now, I say that to the kids every time I take them anywhere. I'm like, R- be quiet and don't ask what's happening to you. In the wooded area, yep. 20 miles north of Atlanta, where she was allowed out of the car. Yeah. She gets out of the car and she sees this pre-dug hole. Oh, gosh. And this coffin. What? And she's ordered to get in into the coffin. Oh, no. I would be shitting myself at that moment. At that moment, yeah. and don't they say at that moment, just fight because mm-hmm. you're not going to make right. it. So she pleads with them and tells them she'll do anything if anything. they just not kill her or put anything. her in that box. Yeah. She repeats over and I'll over again, I'll wieners, be good. Whatever it is, I'll let you. Barbara was told that she would live if she cooperated. Oh, no. Then they chloroformed her, Ugh. and then they forced her into the box. And oh, then they no. took some Polaroid pictures of her holding a hand-lettered sign that read, Kidnapped. What? Yep. Creepy. You can, you can see them on the online. On the you can see the pictures online yeah, on the internet. The sign. Which the internet is a series of tubes. That's right. But you so, can see it there. Then they screwed down the top, and she could hear the sound of freezing dirt being shoveled on top. Oh, of so her. she the chloroform didn't take. She was a she right. was conscious. She was d- woozy or drowsy Woo- oh, like, or kind of like kind of like when I got a vasectomy. They didn't knock me out altogether. Uh, we don't need to hear but about they it. Just kinda, it really was twilight. Don't. So I was awake. I saw the lady holding my wiener. Stop but I was kinda, it. Okay, I was just like, you know, it just gives people a frame of reference. Within a few moments, she lay buried alive with 18 inches of earth between her and freedom. Oh. Her kidnappers had told her in detail that her tomb was equipped with sufficient food and water, which was laced with sedatives. What? A blanket, a sweater, a fan, two vent tubes that went to the Wait, surface. Wait, they didn't tell her it had air. sedatives. Yeah, th- no, they they told- said it had food and water. Water, yeah. Um, t- uh, two vent tubes that All went that other to the shit. surface to provide air. Oh, okay, so she wouldn't die. Sanitary supplies and a small light. When you say sanitary, tampons and pads. And oh stuff. God! Oh. In addition, she was given a long typed note. Okay. That told her about a ransom that was being demanded and that she would be freed no later than Christmas, which was eight days away. What? Eight days? She got to stay down there and shit all over herself and change her tampons in a box? Yeah. That's crazy. So and I wouldn't be willing do to do that. I have the note, but I it's kind of long. So You I have the thought, original note on you? The actual note that they no, wrote? No, oh. jackass. I, I have, thought maybe you I have the really what, what it said, beyond. but it's kind of oh. long and it just goes on and on and on about everything that they're... So it's not That's chilling. It's not a chilling her. note to read. Right. It's not going to add to the entertainment of this story. Yes. The, I can tell you the very last part. He, he, they said, we're sure your father will pay the ransom we have asked in less than one week. When your father pays the ransom, we will tell him where you are and he'll come for you. Should he fail to pay, we will release you. So be calm and rest. You'll be home for Christmas one way or the other. Why would they? Why would you release him? Uh, so they're her. saying that they're not going to kill her. Yeah, right. Bullshit. So Barbara lays there, and she's scared. She's bracing and pushing with all of her strength. Yeah, on try the to box. get out. Yeah. She screams and pounded uh, the walls as hard as she could, hoping someone would hear. This is a nightmare. Isn't this a mm-hmm. nightmare? This is the worst thing that could happen to be buried alive, bro. And so, meanwhile, she's left in total darkness when the light died three hours later that that was in there with her. Oh, no. Add to the 
dad. Is that yeah. worse or better? It's worse when you if you can't see anything. But if there's a light, isn't that just as bad? You keep seeing everything of nothing. Oh. Oh, this is a terrible thing. The kidnappers had chosen the wrong family to anger, as Robert Mackle. You don't fuck with this family. And his brothers were close personal friends of President-elect Richard Nixon. Oh, uh, you don't fuck with Bob Mackle. He's connected to Dick Nixon, y'all. In fact, they had built for, built for President Nixon one of the penthouse units at their second high-rise condo on Marco's Beach Sunset House. These motherfuckers built my penthouse. I'm going to help them. Richard so the nation's most famous crime fighter, J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover, y'all. Took personal charge of the FBI, mobilizing units throughout Florida and Georgia while launching massive investigation and search efforts. All right. In the meantime, Florida's U.S. Senator George Smathers agreed to coordinate the information supplied to the Florida State Police. So there's all this big Everybody's getting in to on do. this. George Smathers, y'all. Well, oh. rich because they're rich people, really. Mm. A poor person right. wouldn't get this. right. And they're white. And they're white also. So a ransom message Racist. was delivered. The kidnappers wanted $500,000 in old $20 bills delivered old to a $20 spot bills. along Biscayne Bay. And it, it was like the conversion. It was like maybe like, I can't remember. It was several million mm, in today's money. I'll buy it. So Robert Malcolm immediately raised the money put it in a large suitcase, and left it where instructed, just south of Miami along the bay. Okay? okay. At 5 a.m., though, Uh-oh. a local resident heard an outboard motor and got concerned about the rash of burglaries at the time. Uh-oh, this local so resident's going to be up to no good. They called the police. And Five these oh. police show up, and they're totally unaware of the kidnapping and yeah, all nobody's, everything. Nobody's they spot two to individuals alert the locals. carrying baggage. Yeah. So then the, when the two people that carrying the bags see the police, they drop everything, and they ran, dashed through the yard of Herbert and Emily Savage. Oh, no relation to Randy Macho Man Savage, right. however, although he's from the Florida area. M- meanwhile. His name is not actually Savage. It's actually shush. Randy Poffo. Meanwhile, the kidnappers escaped and the police recovered the two bags. One was the suitcase containing the $500,000 in cash. Oh, you mean the kidnappers had the money? Yeah, they were getting away. Oh, it was the, the kidnappers. Police, the police not knowing that this was a right. deal. So then they I thought you were they saying the people the giving the money. Okay, so the kidnappers didn't get the money. Right, and so the money's in there. And, and so then the, the other, thing is the other one had scuba gear in it. Okay. And so, so the kidnappers probably think it's a setup. Right. So Oh, I wasn't following that part. Yeah. So Snap. word gets out now that yep. Robert Mackle's daughter, Barbara, has been kidnapped in the early morning hours. Yep. Everyone in Florida and throughout the nation who knew of the Mackles was shocked and paralyzed. On Marco's on Marco Island in the Mackle, Mackle Brothers' brand new development, yeah. no one could talk or think of anything but the kidnapping. That's all they're talking about. Yep. Big it, news there. It's like a local child had been taken. All radios were turned on for the latest words. Now keep in mind, at this time, Florida wasn't the Florida it is now. Like now we think of Florida as garbage, garbage mm-hmm. people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking all about right. my friend Jim who lives there. He's a piece of shit. All right. Let's not just bring that onto our podcast, please. (laughs) So after the bungled attempt to pick up the ransom money, uh, which was, oh, half a million dollars is what it would be. No, Florida man. There's the whole Florida man. The police found that the kidnappers had used a Boston whaler stolen from the University of Miami Institute of Marine Sciences. And just for those who don't know me, a Boston whaler is a boat. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so then in a nearby blue Volvo, police also found information on the two kidnappers, as well as a photo showing Barb Mackle holding that sign that said kidnapped. Okay, now that's not to be confused with a blue Volvo. It's right. a blue Volvo, which is a vehicle. Right. A Volvo. All right, we're done. Is we're done now. Female. All right. Sorry. The okay. FBI then quickly figures out two suspects. Okay. Gary Stephen Christ. Gary tw- Stephen Christ, y'all. A 23-year-old escaped convict from California who had grown up in Alaska. Sounds like the guy. And Ruth Eisman Shire. A lady. Uh-huh. A 26-year-old biology researcher at the Institute who was from Honduras. Hmm. So Robert Mackle. Why would she be wrapped up in this? Well, you'll find out. All right. Robert Mackle w- got worried that the kidnappers might think the police coming at the pickup point was an ambush. Yeah. So he puts yeah. an ad in the Miami Herald for the kidnappers, and he, then he gets a call at about 10.35 p.m. Uh-oh. Providing a new money drop location. Okay. So it's back on. Back on, and they've realized mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Was, it was just a coincidence. Yes. A so, winky dink, if you will. Meanwhile, meanwhile, alarmed at the close call that they had, Shire, the girl, um, boarded a bus heading. Wait, what girl? Oh, the lady is uh, the lady kidnapper. Wait a minute. Let me make sure Shire is the girl. What did I say their name? Yeah. Yes. The lady kidnapper from Honduras. Yes. She boards a bus heading west to Austin, Texas for a planned rendezvous with with him, Chris. Okay. And then they were going to depart to Europe. They were going to get the money. Get the money. Go up. Go to Europe. The second drop-off then succeeds. Chris okay. gets the money. He gets the money. He drives they north drop- to West Palm Beach. All right. There he uses a fake name and $2,240 in $20 bills. He purchased a 16-foot motorboat with plans to head west across Florida, uh-huh. 155 miles through the Okeechobee Waterway. Okeechobee Waterway, y'all. Towards Fort Myers and then to cross the Gulf of Mexico to get to, te- to Texas for then the to rendezvous get there to with her. The rendezvous for her. So the marine owner, though, yeah, he sees the the news and he and gets he suspicious this. of this yeah. bearded man paying I with only twenty dollar bills. Guy, yeah. So he calls the police immediately after Chris t- towed the boat away. Hold on a second, and, and just tell me if this is like just waiting. But they, if they have the money, mm-hmm. haven't they given them the location of Barbara Mackle now, or they're wait till they escape? Like, oh, just wait for it. Okay. Yeah. Wait for okay. it. Wait for okay. it. All right. I'll wait for it. So the FBI issues warrants for Kristen Shire's arrest. Okay. Nearly 15 hours after the ransom pickup, Chris called the FBI office in Atlanta and left a tip that Barbara's burial site was near Duluth, Georgia. So that's how that's okay. that's how they're telling him where she is. Even though the FBI is it's trying they're still trying to catch him. Yeah, but they he's but they, he, he calls in and says, Here's where you're gonna find her. Okay. Teams of agents combed the woods until they spotted the ventilation tubes. Yeah. And then dug with their bare hands until they uncovered the box containing Barbara Mackle. Oh gosh, they did it with their bare hands. That's what it said. Yeah. Late in the afternoon of December twentieth, she was rescued. Oh, December twentieth, she was rescued the same day that High school students Betty Lou Jansen and David Faraday were shot and killed while parked along Lake Herman Road. Oh, yeah, the near Zodiac. Benicia, California, became the first confirmed victims of the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. So that, we will, the, that we was will get one. into that. This, that was the one I was telling you that. Like, yes. Did you cover the Zodiac Killer? I, I'm going to cover him it later. Oh, he's in 69? Yeah, is he's in 69. You sure? Like, even though this mm-hmm. is his first killing. 
Yeah, because his he, he, he sends a letter to the police in sixty nine. Oh, and that's when they realize. So this isn't one we've covered. Serial killer. We haven't yeah. done the Zodiac killer. No. So the Zodiac killer, that's in a in a future episode of American Timelines okay. by History for Jacks. All right, where was I? You were so at December twentieth. She's rescued. After having spent eighty three hours in dark, cold confinement, she was remarkably in good spirits. She was finally freed. She was dehydrated, stiff, and ten pounds lighter. Did she use any of those? Uh, I don't know. Tampons. Stop being a fruitcake. <laughs> no, I just like what. So she was flown to her father's private jet back to Miami to be reunited with her family. She and was it, okay though. Wait, this is amazing. How many yeah, days was it? Then? Three, three days. She was there. So Eighty-three d- hours. So uh, wait, I have other questions. Not just the tampon thing was a joke, but is she covered in shit and pee? No, they had a. There was a receptacle. I don't know, and I couldn't picture it. But in if my you're mind. laying flat in a coffin, I know. How do you shit and pee? There was down? some. There was something there, and I. It's in the big long ra- letter that they there's some gave way her. for her to shit and pee. Yeah, yeah, but I I couldn't picture it in my mind while I was reading it. So there was something. It, Are you saying anyway. you're, you're not smart enough to figure it out? Or? No, I just couldn't picture it. <laughs> Stop. I'm just kidding. All right. Amy, just so you know. The joke is that Amy is super really smart. She's like a super genius, and I'm an idiot. So it's funny when I accuse her of being dumb. That's why I say that. That's Just why so some people, that's why one person thinks it's funny. Hey, what? Oh, you mean Rich Helland? No, I mean you. From Cary, Illinois? All right. So um, <laughs> she was flown to her, okay, to Miami. She's back with her family. Okay, she's back with her family after that whole ordeal. In a short press interview, she interview said her. she was treated humanely and felt absolutely wonderful. No, she was not. That is not humane I treatment. I know. Shitting on yourself in a box underground for three days, that's not humane, bro. No. So meanwhile, Chris had covered over 100 miles traveling west by water across the state and had gone through the St. Lucie Canal and okay. across Lake Okeechobee. It's pronounced sh- canal. But shortly after Chris les- left the Caloosahatchee locks. Uh, <laughs> that was a hard one. Caloosahatchee, y'all. The suspicious lock tender didn't believe Chris's story about the boat's registration <laughs> being <laughs> lost. There's a suspicious lock tender there? Yes. I'm a and, lock tender. I'm suspicious. And finding out that he had repeatedly used the same story at all prior locks, then called the police. Okay. So Chris motored past Fort Myers and okay. then north out of the... Caloosahatchee River into Charlotte Bay at the mouth of the Peace River. Okay. Soon, police boats and helicopters were in hot pursuit. Oh, no. This is like that, sh- that movie hot pursuit, but with, without Robert Loja. So, Chris, yes. So, Chris beached the boat okay. and fled on foot into the mangroves on Hog Island. Oh, the mangroves on Hog Island? Oh, this is my, one of my favorite places. After 12 hours with the island surrounded by FBI agents and police, Chris was finally handcuffed and caught by two Charlotte County deputies who had stalked him. Oh. In his pockets was $17,000 with an additional $480,000 found in the boat by FBI agents. He just left it in the boat? With those sums, was... along with the 2240 paid for for the boat, only $760 was missing. I wonder what it must be up his ass. Ruth Shire was still at large and became the first woman in history to make the FBI's 10 most wanted list. And they never found her? So women can do it. Women are women better than do men. Everything. Women are better than men. They can do everything a man can Including do. Including being on the FBI's 10 most wanted Except list. Except open a peanut butter jar. All right. On December 27th, or pickle jar, Time Magazine published the first of two stories entitled The Girl in the Box with yeah. follow-up story published January 3rd, 1969. Okay. So Richard Nixon met with Barbara and suggested she write a book about her experiences. 
So seven, Did she? 79, yeah. 70, she wrote a book? I'll tell you. Okay. 79 <laughs> days after the kidnapping, a yeah? destitute woman identified as Ruth Shire was arrested in Norman, Oklahoma. Poor destitute lady. She no longer looked like the bright University of Miami graduate student studying marine science, but Probably instead not. she was a scared and impoverished woman trying to apply for a job as a car hop. She was uh, trans- What's a car hop? Something from the 60s. I think <laughs> it was where you come and bring people food out to the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. She was transported back to Georgia for trial, where Christ was already in jail preparing for his trial. Oh. So, with Barbara Mackle safe, she's in good condition. Yeah. Um, Despite all that. has got to Attention PTSD. immediately turned to the kidnappers. Yeah. Gary Stephen Christ yeah. was a small-time Alaska crook who had escaped from jail in California. You know, does anybody think of Alaska as having crooks or any crime? I think it was just Eskimos being yeah. cold. I think... I think Eskimos might be a racial slur. I it is? I think. You can't say Eskimo? I think they're Inuit. Oh, you can't say Esk- Eskimos are racial slur? What if I, what if I, I say know. Eskimo I'm brothers? Maybe. I don't know about that either. What if I say that me and another guy are Eskimo brothers? You know what Eskimo that means? Eskimo kissing. Do you know what Eskimo brothers but is? That's a racial slur. Eskimo I, kisses is that are you kiss When you rub eyes? noses. Oh. Do you know what Eskimo brothers is? No. You don't never heard of the term? Hey, me and that guy are Eskimo brothers. That's got to be a racial slur. It means we slept with the same woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why would you think that's okay? Oh, that's racist. <laughs> totally racist. Well, how else do you say that he and I slept with the same woman? Why would you be saying that at all? <laughs> Just defaming a woman? No. I mean, she's probably Eskimo's sisters with somebody. Boy, that I've is never racist. heard that. I've never heard, You've that, never heard that Ever. Just know that if you ever slept with two different guys that know each other, they... Fist bump and say, we're Eskimo brothers, buddy. Ew. No, they don't say it like that. But they're like, oh, we're Eskimo brothers, uh, unfortunately. I've never heard of that phrase. You've never heard of that? Nope. But I've just we've been real- married for how many years? 20 uh, some years? I don't know. Years. I'm just realizing now that that's... So is that... Is that... Is that, uh, like, hinting that Eskimos all bang each other's wives yeah, or something? Like, why be. is it Eskimo brothers? You'd have to look it up. And why is Eskimo kisses rubbing noses? What does that have to do with anything? Maybe because you're cold. Because it's cold? Is that know. racist too? Yeah, probably. You know, we need to analyze everything we say now. That's a racist thing. Yeah. Jesus. Sorry, yep. Eskimos. Uh, should we go? Should, how do we All right, write get, that wrong? Anyway. I don't know. Go ahead. So. I apologize. Um, his accomplice, Ruth Eisman Shire, was a bright, petite graduate student. Everyone wanted to know, who were these people? Why yeah. had they done this crime? Is this and like a Bonnie and Clyde Would they thing? now pay for it? Well, Chris had grown up in Alaska. He okay, started right. stealing at age nine. By oh. 14, he was convicted of auto theft and put in a juvenile facility in Utah. Utah? In, in August of 1963, Chris was 18 and went back to jail in California for attempting to steal another car. Oh, no. So as he sat in jail, he planned the perfect crime to locate and abduct a young heiress. He worked out issues like how to communicate with her family and where to hide her while waiting for the money. So he's been planning this for yep. a while. And so he concluded that burial underground was this brilliant solution. Well, it was kind of smart. I mean, that was a, you never yeah. heard of that before, and it worked. Three years later, he was married with a son and back in jail again in Tracy, California, for another car theft. And then, at that point, he broke out of prison by scaling a fence and ran. What happened to the son? The family moved to Boston, where Chris had, had a very high IQ and invented identity and the innate ability to defraud, got a job as a research assistant at MIT. 
When an opportunity arose, he moved his family to Miami and soon put, picked up a mistress by the name of Ruth Eisman Shire. Oh. Shortly afterward, around the end of November 68, his wife Carmen took the family and headed back to California. Meanwhile, Go Shire, who spoke down. Spanish, German, English, yeah. and French, signed, That's helpful. signed up for Chris's get-rich scheme, and the couple planned on living as fugitives in Europe. And they would have made it. I think the way I look at it is... If she hadn't gone so far to Texas, like if he didn't have to try to go all the way around Florida through that canal. Yeah. If they would have flown out of Fort Myers or somewhere. I mean, maybe that you could only fly out of certain areas in 1968. But yeah, I think that was a downfall. If he would have gotten mm-hmm. away quicker, mm-hmm. they would have gotten away. They'd be in uh, New Zealand right now living it up. Yeah. So anyway, at the Mackle trial, Chris tried unconvincingly to persuade the court psychiatrist that he was insane acted like an egomaniac and said he was superior human being and then shire tried to use the excuse that she was blindly in love with chris well she was sentenced to seven years and was paroled after four years and deported back to honduras oh she was huh the georgia prosecutor sought the death penalty for chris but he got a life sentence and was probably spared the death penalty because of barbara mackle's testimony she said she didn't want him to be executed. She didn't? Huh? Mm-hmm. Well, that's sweet of her. Is uh, he still alive? Because he's the one that called the FBI to get her to let her go. Yeah, if he hadn't, she would have been out. That's um, true. So in 1972, yeah. Gary Christ wrote a 370-page account of his life. That's a lot of pages. Nobody and tried to much. escape prison in a garbage truck. Well, By the mid-70s, totally he turned yeah. into a model prisoner, attended classes to become an EMT, oh. and started working in the prison hospital. Holy crap. Knowing he was eligible for parole after only seven years in prison, he also started cultivating a relationship with the chairman of the Georgia Parole Board, That's Tommy how you do Morris. it. This is how we do it. So he uh, concluded, there is nothing in our files to indicate Gary Stephen Christ is violent or dangerous. If he does commit a crime, it won't be a crime of violence. So they let him out. Then, yep, he got, walked out of prison on May fourteenth, nineteen seventy nine. Ten years and five months after the kidnapping. And that's the same year the jerk came out. And he is saying he might become a missionary. As proof of the adage that truth is stranger than fiction, he decided to go to college and on to medical school. Okay. However, there was a slight problem since he was on parole as a convicted felon. Yeah. So the chairman of the doctor. board helped him get a pardon. So after. He finished college in Alaska. He went to medical school in the Caribbean. Really? He Caribbean ma- queen? He, he married his pe- prison pen pal, Joan Jones. Ah, uh, she's a nut. Joan Jones. Joan and graduated Jones. medical school in the mid-90s. He got a job in Haiti and then in West Virginia, Alabama, and Connecticut. But each time when his criminal history became known, he lost his job. Yeah. In 2001, he got his last medical position in a rural town in, Rural. All right, stop it. In Indiana, okay, where they were aware of his background, but he had, but they didn't have any local doctor, so they needed him real bad. That, what? but that lasted until the nearby Evansville paper published a story on the Mackle kidnapping. I would do the guy fucking buried a girl, I know. Hi, bro. Like you can't be a doctor. In November two thousand five, Doctor Kristen and his wife's son rented a sailboat in Mobile Bay and sailed to South America, purchasing about thirteen pounds of cocaine. Oh, the what charter does that have company, to do with anything? upon inspecting the return vessel and seeing a map of Colombia, called the police. A month later, in January of two thousand six. He rented another sailboat, which, unknown to him, had a tracking device installed. This is still on his it. son doing this. No, this is him. Oh, he's renting a boat. Mm-hmm. I thought it was his, with his son. son. Oh, with his son. On now he's trafficking cocaine. Yep. On March sixth, two thousand six, when Chris returned to Mobile, he oh, and his wife. March sixth, two thousand six. We gotta stop the presses. 
This is good. This is a fucking thriller. There should be a movie about this. Yeah, I think there is. There is? What's the movie called? I'll get to it. March 6, 2006. The same day that... uh, Diana Reeve, American actress, wife of Christopher Reeve, and an activist for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, dies of lung cancer at 44, the same day that South Dakota Governor Mike Rounds signs a bill into legislation that would ban most abortions in the state. Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, That's what mm-hmm. happened. So on that day when Chris returned to Mobile, he and his wife's son were arrested along with four illegal aliens on board, each of whom had paid $6,000 for entry to the U.S. Oh, man. The police also found 38 pounds of cocaine in paste form worth about $2 million on the street. Wait, I didn't know you could put cocaine in a paste form. I think you can put it in any form. No. Chris, using the same ingenuity that it took to construct the box for the kidnapping, had put the cocaine in a box filled with concrete and helped and held it in place with a rope. It would wow. take seconds to cut and release the evidence if needed. Wow, However, he didn't smart. have time to cut the rope and was caught red-handed. Oh, man. If he just put... Yeah. seems like he's just not putting enough thought into everything. A search of Chris's house, which was 35 miles east of Atlanta, uncovered a large underground laboratory with a 50-foot escape tunnel. Here, cocaine paste was converted into powder form and then sold in Atlanta. Hot Atlanta. <laughs> That's your only comment. Dr. Christ and his wife's son pleaded guilty to the charges on May 16, 2006, in U.S. District Court in Mobile. Christ's wife, Joan, told the Athens, Georgia newspaper, he's a good man and he has not done anything to anyone in years. Yeah, I mean, what's... On one hand, it's like, yes, he buried a girl alive, blah, blah, blah. But he tried several times to get real jobs, and they just were like, well, once we found out you did that... Yep. So Sorry, on bro. January nineteenth, what's he gonna do other than sell he cocaine? He was um, at the age January of what nineteenth, two thousand seven. Yeah. He was um, sentenced to five years in jail. He was released in twenty twelve. Ruth Eisman Shire was last heard of in Honduras, married with a family, and then um, Barbara Mackle married college boyfriend Stuart Wood- Woodward. Wait, she got married? Yep. Wait, January 19th, 2007. We're way past that, honey. The same day that uh, Grey's Anatomy was on? All right, we're past it. And Desperate Housewives was so, on? So, Barbara Mackle has not spoken publicly about the kidnapping and wants to put that part of her life behind her. Yeah, can you imagine? PTSD, bro. Meanwhile, her nephew and his family currently reside on Marco Island in a Mackle-built house, which was constructed in the late 60s. You think they're hot? A highly rated TV movie with the same name as Barbara's 1971 oh. book, 83 Hours Till Dawn, came out in 1990, starring Robert Ulrich. Robert Ulrich? And Ro- as Robert Mackle. Robert Ulrich's the greatest actor of all time. And Wait, was, he plays Robert Mackle, the dad? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And was released on DVD in 2006, so you could probably find 83 Hours Till Dawn. 83 Hours Till Dawn. Let's see if it's on Amazon Prime. Because that sounds like the best movie ever. It's a kidnapped thriller. Let's see where it's available to stream. Oh, it's on Prime Video, but I think you have to pay for it. I don't think I want to pay for it. Yeah, you have to rent it for $1.99. It was directed by Donald Rye, starring Peter Strauss, Robert Urich. Oh, Paul Winfield. What did I say? 
Ulrich? You said Ulrich. How do you say it? Robert Urich. Robert Urich. Yeah, he was born on December 19th, 1946. I don't want to know Toronto. when he was born. <laughs> God damn it. Toronto, Ohio. All right, we, this is long. We better wind it up. Well, his athletic ability led Stop. to a four-year football scholarship at Florida State University. Joe. Okay, I will finish the rest of it real fast. Ready? Yes, and go. We're going to speed through this like on those night court episodes where they got to do a bunch before midnight for so Dan Fielding can sleep with a woman. Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, so December 18th was a Wednesday of 1968. U.S. President Lyndon G. U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson became the latest of thousands of Americans to be hospitalized because of the 1968 flu pandemic. Hong Kong flu. Yep, and he was admitted to Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland on the same day U.S. Vice President Hubert H. Humphrey canceled his planned speaking engagements after contracting the Hong Kong flu and became bedridden while visiting Johnson? Phoenix. No, Hubert H. Humphrey. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was in a was hospitalized, and then that same day, Hubert H. Humphrey had to cancel a speaking engagement because he got it and had to go to the hospital. That, when is that going to start happening? That's going to start happening. That's the thing. People won't take it seriously until, like, I know. That's Trump gets happening. it or Pence or, like, Biden. Yeah. Like, these big names have to get it before anybody thinks let's it's ho- real. Let's hope Biden doesn't get it. God. Well, what Drew was saying today, like, the best thing that happens is if Biden gets elected, the next day he resigns and or gets sick and then yeah. Kamala Harris or whoever. Um that same day, no, no, the next day, Thursday, mm-hmm. December 19th, 1968, and the largest number of people hijacked to Cuba since the practice began in 1959, the 151 persons on board Eastern Airlines Flight 47 were diverted to Havana as their Douglas DCA jet was nearing the end of a flight between Philadelphia and Miami. After the hijacker was taken into custody by the Cuban security police, the remaining 143 passengers and seven crew were taken by bus to Varadero and put on a plane back to the USA. Okay. And then Friday, December 20th, 1968, high school students Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday were shot and killed while parked along Lake Herman Road near Benicia, California. Did you already say that? Becoming the first victim. Oh, yeah, because you jumped to December 20th. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll skip that. Saturday, December 21st, 1968, at 10.47 a.m., Apollo 8 became the first manned space vehicle to break out of Earth's orbit. And the three American astronauts on board, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William Anders, went further from Earth than any people in history. That would be a creepy feeling. Yeah, that was like right before I'm they decided to land on the moon. further from Earth than anybody ever and has it was been. And far- they broke a bunch of records, like the fastest speed of anybody uh, and then Sunday, December 22nd, Ugh. 1968, so on Apollo 8, astronaut Frank Borman became violently ill the day after taking a dose of the barbiturate drug Secanol, with the other two astronauts having to help him clean up the mess oh. in a weightless environment. Oh, they barf? Vomit everywhere. Diarrhea. The episode marked the first experience of space sickness by an American astronaut. In order to keep NASA from ordering the mission to be aborted before the spacecraft could pass the point where it could... Return without a slingshot trip around the moon. Borman waited for a while to report that he was ill and sent a taped message back to Earth. Oh, my goodness. Drama. And on Monday, December 23rd, 1968, Mm -hmm. at 3.29 p.m. Eastern, Apollo 8 crossed the dividing line that separates the Earth's gravitational sphere of influence from that of the moon, propelling men beyond control by Earth for the first time in history. 
That would be spooky. And bring the three-man crew into the pull of the moon's gravity. And then Tuesday, December 24th, more about Apollo 8, did a bunch of other stuff with the moon and blah, 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 blah. And uh, that same day, the founder of American Atheists sued the U.S. government for a violation of the First Amendment, but the Supreme Court dismissed the case due to lack of jurisdiction, and they sued because uh, these guys on the moon, Apollo 8 people, uh, they the three men took turns reading the first ten verses of the book of Genesis, and the founder of American Atheists sued because... They're talking about Bible stuff mm-hmm. on Apollo 8. Yep. And that same day, the Allegheny Airlines Flight 736 crashed while making an approach to Bradford, Pennsylvania, a part of a multi-stop flight from Detroit to Washington, D.C., killing 20 of the 47 people on board. And then on Wednesday, December 25th, 1968, it was Christmas Day. Yep. Uh Anything? U.S. President Nixon signed a paper to make a donation of the National Archives of his official papers. You gotta stop with that sounds. No, on December twenty fifth, nineteen sixty eight, the toys that year were "Don't Break the Ice," the yes, game, I love that game, Hot Wheels, Battling Tops, Silly Putty, and Whirly Twirly. And then Friday, December 27th, 1968, Apollo 8 came at the end of the 1968, a year that had seen much upheaval in the United States and most of the world. After one mission of the astronauts received a telegram that simply said, thank you, Apollo 8, you saved 1968. Thursday, December 26th, 1968, after several warm-up concerts in England, Led Zeppelin made their American debut at Denver to open a tour of 28 venues in U.S. and Canadian cities. Their first stop was Denver Auditorium Arena in Colorado. Mm-hmm. That same day, Malcolm L. McCollum, an American environmental scientist and herpetologist, was born. I don't know why I have that. Sorry. <sighs> Friday, December 27, 1968, 27 people on board North Central Airlines Flight 458 were killed when the airplane crashed into an aircraft hangar while making its landing at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. The turboprop had started its multi-stop flight from Minneapolis more than four hours earlier. It was approaching Chicago in poor weather when it hit the building at 8.22 p.m. local time. Seven teenagers, members of the American Legion Drum and Bugle Corps that had been practicing inside the Branford Airways hangar were injured when a plane made its impact. One of them, a 14-year-old boy, would die in the hospital on January 5th. And that same day, the Apollo 8 capsule returned safely to Earth after its historic orbital flight around the moon at the end of the hottest and fastest return from space ever and splashed down into the Pacific Ocean at 2.51 a.m. local time. And then Saturday, December 28, 1968. No, we already talked about her. This Sunday, December 29, 1968. The photo of Earth from the moon Earthrise was released to the public by NASA along with eight other spectacular photographs taken during the Apollo 8 mission. The display coincided with the first press conference by astronauts Borman, Lovell, and Anders since their return to Earth. The images were shown on live television, then repeated on evening newscasts around the world and published in the next day's newspapers. Yep. 
So you can see all that kind of stuff was cool. The New York Jets and Oakland upset the Oakland Raiders 27 to 23 that same day to win the American Football League Championship and the NFL spot in Super Bowl three to be played in Miami. A few hours later, the Baltimore Colts, who had 13 wins and one loss in the regular season, shut out the Cleveland Browns 34 to zip for the National Football League Championship and the other spot in the Super Bowl. And then on December 30th, which was a Monday in 1968, uh, Fabrice Guy was born, a French Olympic cross-country skier. God. And then Tuesday, December 31st, 1968, was the last day of 1968, mm-hmm. U.S. Army Major James N. Rowe, who had been held for more than five years as a prisoner of war, of the Viet Cong managed to escape his captors. Oh my God. After finding an opportunity to overpower and disarm his guard. Major Rowe, a member of the Green Berets, had been a special forces advisor to a South Vietnam Army unit when he was captured on October 29th, 1963. Since then, he'd been held in South Vietnam in the Mekong River Delta. Rowe told his captors that he was a draftee engineer charged with building schools and other civil affairs projects. Mm-hmm. The Viet Cong interrogated him unsuccessfully. They gave him some engineering problems to solve, and Rowe, relying on the basic instruction and in engineering he'd received at West Point, successfully maintained his deception. Oh my However, God. Rowe's deceptive cover was blown when the Viet Cong managed to obtain a list of American high-value prisoners of war, and his name was in the list, identifying him as an intelligent intelligence officer oh shit this enraged the vc prompting them to order his execution so he was led deep into the jungle to be shot and murdered Mm -hmm. right when his would-be executioners were distracted by a flight of american helicopters he overpowered his guard who was going to murder him Mm -hmm. escaped and flagged down a uh-1 helicopter piloted by major david e thompson oh my god that's how he got away Holy shit. Isn't that a crazy story? Yes. Like he was about to be killed and he yes. fucking fought him off. After five years. Can you imagine being a prisoner of war for five years? Isn't that insane? Oh. And even more noteworthy, that same day, American jazz clarinetist George Lewis died. No. That is just as important. Nope. And now that brings oh, us to the end of 1968. America. We finished another year. We got one more year yeah, left in the season. And it's a shoo, shit Probably show. Yeah, a lot of shit in 1969. Probably five, six episodes left of this season. And then we move on to the 50s if we want to keep doing this. Or we should see other people. It's up to you. Yeah, we'll decide at the time. We'll decide later. Yep. But thank you for listening, Time Heads. We love you. We, we are willing to have sex with all of you. Wait a uh, minute. Matt Truman Ego Trip has the music for this. What? You are... You're not willing to have sex with our listeners? Then what kind of a person are you? I don't know, babe. I don't even know anymore. Just in this e- world. email us at analbeads at hotmail.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks, uh, folks. Those of Time you, to get out of here, Chuck Those Barry. of you hot, sexy people that are listening, thank you for listening. Those of you who are mediocrely attractive, thank you for listening. And those those of you who are fugly, thank you for listening. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. American timeline. Pencil pie to here in a vibe. The six days. I said pencil pie to here in a vibe. The six days. When you were all alone, no watchtower, a kiss in the sky. Tired of hearing about the six days. One more time, I said we're so 
City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Talk about pork.